0: Let's ask the Lord to lead us during this time. Father, we find ourselves at this very moment, perhaps at at our most vulnerable time throughout the week. Here we are, your people, gathered together, Hoping, hoping to hear a word from you, sitting under the authority of your word, asking the Spirit to lead us, asking the Spirit to help us. And so, would you do that? Would you break through our hearts and in those places that need to be built up and strengthened? Would you minister the hope of the gospel? those places where sin needs to be addressed. Spirit of the living God, would you have your way with us and accomplish that which you desire. So lead us during this time. Lead us individually and lead us together as a body so that you would be glorified. We ask these things as we now submit ourselves to your word. Asking that you would care for our souls now. In the glorious name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. So today marks the third Sunday of Advent, which means that the celebration of Christmas is just around the corner. And at Christmas, as believers, we celebrate the coming of God's Son to earth. The reason we celebrate this event as believers is because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus went on to accomplish in his life after his birth. Now, there's no doubt that unique things happened from the very moment of his birth. Birth. At his birth, an angel accompanied by a multitude of angelic friends announced the birth of Jesus to some social outcasts, some shepherds way off in a desolate field. But the shepherds were so excited, they went to see this new baby king and they found him sleeping in a trough surrounded by a bunch of animals a little later pagan kings came from afar following a star that they saw in the sky and they came to worship this baby king and to offer him gifts expensive gifts reflective of his glory At the very same time, the reigning king of the region, Herod, did everything in his power to kill this newborn king. But despite his murderous rampage, as heart-wrenching as it is, praise God, he was not able to kill King Jesus. Now, to be clear, A lot of unique things happened throughout the life of Jesus and even at his death, perhaps most notably three days after he was executed, he rose again from the grave because as as Peter just preached to us a, a short time ago, it was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. Now, a few weeks after his resurrection, he ascended into the clouds of heaven to sit down at the right hand of the Father in the place of highest honor, in the place of strongest authority, and in the place of greatest power anywhere in the entire cosmos. Now, the connection to Christmas in today's passage is found as we press into what it means that the Son of God came, and as we consider the fullness of what He has done. These implications become clear through the unique events that continue to occur under His reign from heaven and through the Spirit-filled proclamations of Peter explaining what all of this means. So today we come to Peter's sermon in Solomon's portico. Our passage is Acts 3, verses 11 through 26. A portico is just a a porch. Some of your translations may say colonnade. Uh, It's just an area where there were multiple columns, And someone could walk through that on their way to the temple. And one of the things that's interesting about it is that it also provided entrance to the court of the Gentiles. Jesus was there in John 10. And now our scene takes place in this very spot. So then hear the word of God from Acts 3, verses 11 through 26. You'll recall that last week, Patrick taught us about the lame beggar who was healed. One of the most joyful scenes in all of the Bible. He's healed instantly and begins to to sing and to jump and to dance because God has healed him. Not only can he walk, he can now enter into the temple of God. This man, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham. And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So Spirit, please lead us now. We ask in the name of Jesus, our beloved Lord. Amen. Now the very main point that Peter is proclaiming, especially right at the end of his sermon here, will serve as our main point as well. Namely, God desires to bless you through his son by turning you from your sin. God desires to bless you through his son by turning you from your sin. Now, to show us this, Peter goes back much further than Christmas, that is the birth of Jesus. He goes all the way back into the New Testament, or the Old Testament, back to Genesis, to exalt in Jesus, and to further explain what the ascension of Jesus means for us. So to say that as tightly as I can, in his sermon, Peter primarily does two things. He exalts in the person of Jesus. That is, he worshipfully rejoices in the person of Jesus. And Peter explains the purpose of Jesus, why he came, and what he has done for us. So then let's just begin with the first. Have you ever met someone that you didn't particularly like the first time that you met them? Now, maybe you ended up marrying that person. I, I, don't, I don't really know. <laughs> or maybe that person was a, a boss or a coach or a coworker, or a teacher or a classmate or, or something like that. And maybe you had heard some things about this person, so you had somewhat of an unfavorable impression of this person before you even met them. Or maybe right after you met them, uh, this person did something that offended you or upset you or irritated you. Or maybe they did something that you just misunderstood. TV shows do this a lot. They often present characters that initially kind of turn you off, but they end up being likable in the end. Or the opposite can be true, right? In a movie, the person you really liked at the beginning of the movie ends up being the villain in the end. But the point is that something changed your mind dramatically about this person. One of the most striking elements of Peter's sermon really of, of, of his first two sermons is that he is calling people to now receive someone they had initially rejected. Even more strongly, Peter is calling his ears to embrace with, with, a, with a wholehearted love someone they had treated with a full-throttled scorn. Now, of course, this dynamic isn't unique to the hearers of Jesus. Every single one of us must have the eyes of our hearts opened to see the glory of Jesus. So the question becomes, how does Peter do this? Led by the Holy Spirit. How does he present Jesus to his hearers in such a way that they might turn from rejecting Jesus in hatred to receiving Jesus in an all-encompassing and trusting love. Well, the way that he does it is he first diverts the focus of those who were present, those who heard him, away from himself and away from John and even away from the man who was clinging to his side. Acts 3, 11 through 13. While he clung to Peter and John, what would you have been doing? Just picture this playing out. It's just exhilarating to think. What would it have been like to to never, ever have walked for decades with essentially no hope that you ever could walk, believing that probably you were cursed by God in somehow, in some way, At least that's what many people told you. And then in an instant, in an instant, a man walks up to you and heals you. And you jump for joy. And now they're standing there in Solomon's portico. And you grab on and hold on tight. While this man clung to Peter and John, all the people who heard about this, they, they were utterly astounded. They ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus. I want to commend Peter here. He does a fantastic job of seizing the moment when people are clamoring and wondering what's happened. He takes all of their questions and all of their thoughts and all of their excitement and points them directly to Jesus. Now, I want to encourage you right out of the gate. This is a time of the year when co-workers, friends, neighbors, other people are more open to the idea of talking about Jesus, who he is and what he has done. Maybe you'd be gathering together with family and you know that some of your family members would fall into the camp of rejecting Jesus and not receiving Jesus. May I encourage you, May I encourage you to seize those moments if you're prompted by the Holy Spirit to say something about Jesus, to point to the truth that is found in Jesus. Likely, it's not going to be as dramatic as this scene, but people come to faith in subtle ways all of the time. Be confident. God used this moment by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he turned people's hearts from rejection to receiving Jesus And he might be pleased to do it again through you. Now, Peter's very clear here. One thing that he's great at is being very blunt, very clear, very straightforward. And he says, why are you looking at us? Why are you looking at us as if by our power, or by our piety, that is our, our godliness, our devotion to God, this man was made well. And by doing this, he, he, he knocks out two notions of the day. In a lot of the pagan religions, they believe that, that divine men were walking around on the earth. You remember at the end of the book of Acts, the same thing happens to Paul. He's bitten bitten by a snake and the the people are standing around and they say, ah, (laughs) that guy just survived a shipwreck only to be bitten by a poisonous snake. He's going to die. He must be cursed by God. Paul doesn't fall over. So what do they say? Ah, there is a God among us. This was the prevailing notion of the day in many pagan religions. The Jews... Some of the Jews believed that a man could be so pious, so devoted to God, that God would actually be obligated to answer his prayers. And Peter says nonsense to both of those things. But the underlying question becomes, how did this happen how has this man been made well? Now, spirit-filled Peter is so good at bluntly and boldly cutting through the nonsense and getting to the heart of the matter of letting the truth, the reality of what is happening, just confront his hearers. I remember one time I intended to say something encouraging to a brother who had, had done something kind for someone, and I wanted to commend him for his generosity but he kind of just looked at me rather blankly and matter-factly and said what it's God's money and he told me to give it to him in other words why are you encouraging me as if by my own power and my own piety I did something worthy of praise that left an impression on me one that I remember several years later. Peter, ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit, mentions multiple Old Testament references that make it clear to the people that the one they have rejected, the one that they killed, is none other than God's Son, the Messiah himself. That is, the one, the God of their forefathers, The God of their patriarchs promised to send. Now, note how powerfully here Peter does this by contrasting the derision of the people toward Jesus with God's delight in Jesus, his beloved son. Let's give you the essence of of, of this message. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This God, your God, he has glorified or honored or exalted Jesus. You know Jesus, his servant Jesus, that is the suffering servant of God. You know who I'm talking about, right? I imagine Peter saying, the suffering servant prophesied to come in Isaiah 52 and 53. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. You know, the one who would be despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Now, as, as Peter continues The Jews who knew their Bibles, who would have been many, are about to have their minds blown, even as their hearts are being cut. This suffering servant that God has exalted, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. You know, the one that you denied in the presence of Pilate. He is the holy and righteous one. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be justified. By his knowledge, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. This servant, this holy and righteous one, you denied him, though Pilate was going to release him, because he found no fault in him. Pilate thought he was innocent. but you wanted to be identified with someone else. You did not want to be identified with this Messiah. Rather, it was so bad that you asked to be identified with a murderer. You asked for a life taker to be released to you rather than the life giver. You killed the author of life itself. You did this. You killed him. And I want you to know that the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob... He raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him. And he exalted him. And you know this. Many of you saw him. Which I think is the implication of to this we are witnesses. Peter is saying, your God is coming at Jesus from the opposite perspective that you are. Your perspective is opposed to God's perspective on Jesus. To be clear then, the way that this lame man was healed, this man that you see here, clinging to my leg, this man that you know was healed by faith in the powerful name of Jesus. The powerful name of Jesus, the suffering servant, the holy and righteous one, the author of life, whom you denied and killed, but the one your God resurrected and glorified and exalted. He is reigning now on high in heaven, and he healed this man through the Spirit who has been given and who now dwells in us. That's how this man was healed. But I'm just getting started. This Jesus is the one Peter says, foretold by all the mouth of the prophets, verse 18. He is the promised Christ, the Messiah, the son of David, born in Bethlehem, now risen to reign. He is the prophet Moses said would come. Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. And I'm telling you, this prophet that you are supposed to listen to is Jesus. And let me tell you how I know it's Jesus. One time, John and I, and John's brother, James, were with Jesus. And he said, hey, let's go up on this mountain and pray together, and so we did. And as we're up there, light starts coming out of Jesus. And Jesus is talking to Moses. And Jesus is talking to Elijah while light is emanating from him. So look at John. Look at James. They're not saying anything. You know how I am. So right away, I started talking. And I said, well, maybe we should build some tents. It's the only thing that came to mind. And as I'm talking, God from heaven cuts me off and says, this is my beloved son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Implied, Peter, stop talking. Listen to Jesus. When that happened, he told us not to say anything at the time. But now that the Spirit has come, I'm telling you, this happened. This is how I know this prophet who was to come is, in fact, Jesus. And we are to listen to him. So consider, as we move through this section, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, in what ways are you not listening to Jesus? In what ways might you be ignoring the promptings of the Holy Spirit? In what ways do you see the clear command of God in his word and yet ignore them or are reticent to follow them? Remember the warning, Peter says, that Moses gave when this prophet comes. Verse 23 And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Look, all of the prophets from Samuel on spoke of this day, the time where we are now in the first century, a day when you would be blessed by the offspring of Abraham I'm telling you, I am here to tell you that Jesus is the offspring of Father Abraham and of Abraham's God. Jesus is the one through whom all the families on earth shall be blessed. Jesus has come to bless you by turning every one of you from your sins. That's the essence of Peter's message here in Solomon's portico. There's a scene in in just about every great detective show or movie when the killer is confronted with the truth in such a comprehensive way that that he's basically backed into a corner, realizes, "I, I have no way out of this, and so begins to confess, this is what I did, and this is how... I did it. The unspoken question hanging in the air at the beginning of of this whole scene is, how was this man healed physically? The people were astounded and had no idea, so they're running to see what happened. How was this man healed physically? The unspoken question that now lingers in the air towards the end of Peter's sermon before the people, as they are confronted by the reality of who Jesus is and of the reality that they killed him, the question that now lingers in the air is how can I be healed spiritually? Though Peter confronts the people with their sin very directly their There is so much hope here in the second part of his sermon. He shifts from exulting in the glory of Jesus to explaining the purpose of Jesus, why he came. There are at least five encouragements we can draw from Peter's words. The first is that physical and spiritual healing are possible in Jesus. You know that this morning, maybe you're suffering in some way. Physical and spiritual healing are possible in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Even more than that, one day, full physical and full spiritual healing will happen for every person who places their faith in Jesus. And that healing, physical and spiritual, will last forever. Now, notice how Peter connects the, the physical healing here of the lame beggar in the name of Jesus to the faith in Jesus through which our sins can be blotted out so that spiritual refreshing may come. It reminds me of the story in Mark 2 of another paralyzed man who was healed by Jesus. In this story, Jesus has kind of returned to what ended up being kind of his home base for ministry for most of his three years. He's in Capernaum in a particular house, uh, very likely Peter's house, but, he, but he's, in this, he's in this house and Mark tells us that, that it's just packed inside. It's packed around the house. There's, there's people everywhere and Jesus is preaching the word of God. Sidebar, time out. That is awesome. Can you imagine being in a group of people in a small room and Jesus is preaching the word of God to you? This is as good as it gets. Well, there's so many people around because other people thought that was awesome, also. That these friends, four friends, bring one of their other friends, a paralyzed man, no chance of getting him in the door. So they somehow get up on the roof burrow a hole in the roof and let their friend down through the roof on his bed, on his mat, and presumably lay him either at the feet of Jesus or somewhere near to Jesus. When Jesus sees this, Mark says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to him, that is the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this comment caused no small commotion around the house because there were religious leaders there and everyone there knew no one can forgive sins but God himself. Exactly. So Jesus says, he knows what they're thinking and he says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your mat and walk. It's actually easier to say your sins are forgiven. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because how's anybody going to know? If you say, rise, take up your mat and walk, everybody's going to know right away whether or not that happened or not. But Jesus says that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home and he does. He stands up, instantly healed, picks up his mat, and walks out before them all. And everyone, like the story here in Acts, is rightly astonished, The principle is that if Jesus has the authority as the Son of God to heal someone physically, he also has the authority to heal someone spiritually by forgiving, or to use the words of our passage here in Acts, by blotting out their sins. If you've never turned to Jesus, whether you're a young person or you've been going to church your whole life, If you've never turned to Jesus for the blotting out of your sins, oh, I pray that you would do that at this very moment. Confess your sin to God. Put your trust and faith in Jesus, even even now, that your sins might be blotted out, that is, that your sins might be erased from God's record. Imagine walking into the throne room of God. Because the Lord wants to talk to you. And and over his shoulder, you see this dry erase board. You know, because that's probably what God uses in this throne room. And, And on the dry erase board, you notice that there's a few items that he wants to discuss with you. And as you read bullet point after bullet point after bullet point, you realize... Those are the grossest sins of my life. And then he looks at you and he says, you know, my son, Jesus, just a minute before we talk and he walks over to the board and erases every single one of your sins. And the only thing that's left is let's talk about your joy in Jesus. And he turns back and says, okay, let's talk. Ah, how would you feel how would you feel in that moment but what if you say there are things that i've done that have to be written in permanent marker on that board there is no way in fact some of the things that i've done are so bad they're probably etched in stone the word blotted out can be translated erased the word blotted out can be translated obliterated Your sins have been obliterated by the blood of Jesus. There is no reason to fear because of Jesus. So put your faith in him. Deep down, every one of us, no matter how seared your conscience is, every one of us knows we're guilty we're guilty of sin the only way to deal with the reality of our guilt and the shame that we feel connected to is to confess our sin to god and to turn from our sin toward god this is the reason god sent his son to earth like 2000 christmases ago he didn't do it so we can we can we can run up our credit card bills Eat sugar cookies with you know, red and green spink- sprinkles, as, as good as those are. He didn't do it so we can all act a little bit kinder towards each other for a few weeks because we have some collective vague idea about the meaning of Christmas. Jesus stepped out of the perfection of heaven into the chaos of this world to redeem the chaos raging in our own hearts because of the reality of our brokenness and our rebellion. If you think there's no way possible that God could blot out your sins, the gospel says you're wrong. The blood of Jesus says, absolutely, you have been made righteous because of me. This is the good news of the gospel. The father sent his son to earth to bless you by turning you from your sin. This is why Jesus came. This is the gospel message that Jesus preached as the prophet foretold by Moses, indeed spoken of by the mouth of all the prophets. Forgiveness for your sin is available in and through the name of Jesus. There is no other name given under heaven by which you might be saved. So I'm saying to you, even now, throw yourself upon his mercy. Because you need to be warned by Peter's sermon. His words speak 2,000 years later. It shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet, namely Jesus shall be destroyed from the people. But if you're already a believer in Jesus, God's desire is also to bless you. Not merely by saving you in your sin, but by turning you from your sin. Jesus has not come merely to justify you, but to sanctify you as well. If you are a believer and, and if you are a believer and you are flirting with sin of any kind, resist it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Turn from it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Flee from your sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by your own piety and power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Turn from Your sin. Because this is the place. This is the place where greatest freedom and greatest joy is found. Behold the beauty and power of your savior and your sanctifier. In the multifaceted glory Peter proclaimed in Solomon's portico. See the glory of Jesus and let your soul be satisfied Because sin is what we do when our souls are not satisfied in God. Whether you are a believer in Jesus or not. When you turn away from sin and toward Jesus. The beauty and hope of this passage tells us that times of refreshing will come upon your souls, even in the midst of chaos and confusion and heartbreak and pain. Times of refreshing are possible in Jesus. Jesus is not just a greater savior than you are a sinner. Jesus is more satisfying than you are needy. Jesus is richer in mercy than you are poor in spirit. And Jesus is more gloriously able to make you whole than you could ever dream of this morning in your brokenness. Do you know that this morning? It is 100% true, based on the authority of the word of God, and the effectiveness of the blood of Jesus to make you whole. No matter who you are, no matter what is troubling your soul, even as you sit here this moment, I implore you to turn to Jesus so that times of refreshing may come. According to Peter, this is why he came. Though full deliverance from the presence of sin will not happen, full deliverance will not happen until Jesus returns. The reality of soul-satisfying peace and genuine and deep and abiding joy is possible. It's possible now, even in the midst of turmoil. But Peter offers us the great hope here as he comes to a close that Jesus will one day return and he will restore all things completely and perfectly. Jesus himself explained this purpose near the end of the book of Revelation when he declared, behold, I am making all things new. So turn to Jesus Turn to Jesus this very very morning and all of you who are weary and all of you who are heavy laden and you will find rest. You will find soul satisfying rest for your soul. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for preserving the words of Peter's sermon here on the porch of the temple. Spirit, thank you so much for filling Peter to explain to his hearers and by extension to us the fullness of who Jesus is and of what he has done for us. Father, we thank you and ask that you would now help us to respond with soul-satisfying joy in Jesus for his multifaceted glory so that we might, as it were, crown him, crown him with many crowns this morning. So lead us by your spirit in our worship, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.